It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. All right, let's talk about the Premier's conference that just wrapped mm-hmm. up in Victoria. Two days of meetings and health care funding at the top of the agenda. The Premier is looking for more money from Ottawa. Lots more money. Not going very well. Let's listen to John Horgan here and his characterization, how things are going with the feds. You'll also hear the Quebec Premier here, Francois Legault. Have a listen. Eight months later... We're exchanging notes uh, through the media. You know, where'd the love go? I don't understand why Mr. Trudeau doesn't want to meet us. They want to meet and talk money. And Horgan asking, where did the love go? What's going on? The bromance with Trudeau is off now? Well, the Trudeau-Horgan bromance seems to be on the rocks. Uh, These two got along famously for five years. Uh, That doesn't seem to be the case now. There was a lot of frustration expressed by a lot of premiers uh, yesterday. I mean, healthcare is the biggest part of every premier's budget, and healthcare costs are going up. Uh, equipment's costing more money. Uh, baby boomer generations aging and putting more pressure on the system because they want to access more healthcare on a needs basis. And so every premier singing from the same song sheet. But it was interesting yes, to see the the uh, federal cabinet ministers shoot back Dominic LeBlanc, intergovernmental affairs minister, calling the premier's uh, figures in terms of what they say the feds contribute. To, he labeled them as fake. Fake, yeah. He said the premier is using fake numbers. Yeah. yeah. So the premiers are saying that Ottawa contributes only twenty two percent. The feds have retorted, "You're not including all those federal tax transfers we give you, yeah. which amount to twenty billion dollars a year." Right. Uh, so that's the counter argument from from the feds. So this is now, I think, probably the worst relationship between the federal government and the premiers for quite some time. I mean, I think you got to go back when Harper arbitrarily changed the funding formula in terms of um, how uh, healthcare transfers increase every year, which was about 16 years ago or so. Where you, the last time you had a lot of premiers uh, opposed to the federal go- federal government in this key area. So um, it's going to be interesting how this develops in the in the days ahead. I expect Trudeau is not going to simply stay silent on this forever as he approaches the next election. It's probably in his political interest to come up with some sort of funding mechanism to give the premiers. And one of the, one of the big breakdowns here is Ottawa doesn't want to just suddenly shovel out $28 billion without having any say on how that money's spent or how that money's allocated. The province is retorted as well. Constitutionally, healthcare is the purview of the provinces. We determine how it's spent. I assume, I would expect some sort of middle ground to be found here. Yeah over the next year or so. Right, because the feds are characterizing this as like, well, the premiers want a blank check. They Mm -hmm. just want this big pot of money, but they don't want to say how they're going to spend it. But, you know, health care is provincial jurisdiction. You know, the feds are supposed to help fund it, but the provinces run it. They run the system. So are they required to tell the feds like where every penny is going to be spent? No, not not required to. And but I I think the feds are also looking for some uh, political credit here. If say you know if we're going to give you twenty eight billion dollars, you know attach our name to this in some way. And maybe that you know Trudeau has talked about a national pharmacare program, for example. That may take some of the pressure off the provinces if that can be found. Uh, so this is an ongoing debate, but it was unusual. The tone yesterday was unusually yeah. negative and pessimistic from the premiers. Uh, critics are saying they're whining about it, but they're paying, no, this, this is re- very real problems that exist in every province. You know, we've, we've done lots of stories in BC about the family doctor shortage. Well, there's a family doctor shortage everywhere. Uh, we're closing clinics, emergency room pressures. Ontario's facing enormous pressure in their emergency rooms. It's not just BC. This is a national problem. 
So just because the conference ended doesn't mean the debate's over. Meanwhile, you raise the interesting point that healthcare is one thing, but the province is also looking for big dollars on any number of other projects. All the time. Like the Massey Tunnel, for example. Well, it's going to be, you know, again, this bromance that existed between Horgan and Trudeau resulted partly. Uh, you've got significant federal dollars in the Surrey SkyTrain extension. You've got, Trudeau came out for that announcement. You've got significant federal dollars in the Broadway subway line. Uh, the feds have been there on a number of other projects. So right now, BC's waiting for uh, ironclad guarantee from Ottawa that they're going to be part of the Massey Tunnel replacement projects. So far, that's a promise, but we haven't seen anything materialize. And, and the worst thing that can happen in a breakdown between the relationships in the, between the, these two governments is it doesn't mean the federal government's going to disappear, but it may slow down. And that may slow down the funding commitment that comes from Ottawa. Okay, this Massey Tunnel project is still... I guess kind of up in the air because the BC government wants to build a new tunnel. Mm -hmm. The liberals under their new leader, Kevin Falcon, of course, has famously said that he would scrap the new tunnel, go back to plan A and build a bridge instead. Let's listen to what Falcon had to say about the Massey tunnel here on an earlier show. They want to do this crazy idea with the tunnel. They're going to be stuck in the environmental assessment process for the next five years. Nothing will have gotten done. That's why I'm going to go back to the bridge idea. We can dust off the old plans, update them, and get that thing built. Okay, so he's saying that it could get hung up in an environmental process. I think he could be right on that. It could maybe it gets up, it gets hung up in a funding fight too. Well, that's that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah the federal government may just be biding its time before it finally commits to funding this thing until until it gets through all the processes and all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Uh, I still think Ottawa will be there at the end of the day, but. It'll be interesting, not just Massey Tunnel, just it, the relationship between Ottawa and B.C. does now deteriorate a bit over this funding spat. It could have some consequences. Look at Highway 1, uh, which uh, the damage coming from the from the uh, atmospheric river. Yeah. That's that's a federal highway. Uh, that needs, uh, I think the feds are there funding it, but we'll see again whether the funding pipeline slows down or uh, doesn't as a result of this fight. Okay, following that one closely. Big rate hike today announced by the Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. Full percentage point increase <coughs> in the interest rate. Highest one-day hike since 1998. Man, if you got a variable rate mortgage, this is going to hit you a bit in the wallet. It's going to hit you a bit, but you know, as someone who has had mortgages at much higher rates than that, it's still a pretty low rate. I mean, let's not get too, uh, some of the, um, some of our colleagues a little older than me remember the days of 18% interest rate mortgages. Yeah. Uh, that was a serious, I mean, I, I think we had a member of the press gallery back in the 80s before my time who had a 22% mortgage, if you can imagine. I remember talking to a guy who said he got a, he bought his first house and I think it was a 21% mortgage rate and he and his wife were were ecstatic. They yeah. were happy. They got a break. Like, oh, what a great deal we got. <laughs> well, you know, if interest rates keep increasing like this, if we get back to a 10% interest rate, yeah. the baby boomer generation will take transfer their accumulated wealth out of the stock market and put it into, into guaranteed uh, GICs. If you can get a 10% guaranteed 10% return on your accumulated wealth, many people are going to take that. We're not, we're not there yet. We're still a long way away from that. But if the trends continue, uh, it's going to have significant impact on the, on the household. Well, I just, I just t- taking a look at GIC rates right now, just on, uh, moneysense.ca and they've got a list of different financial institutions and what they offer. And you can get like a five year GIC for like 4.8%. It, you know, could go higher than that. Well, if you're a baby boomer, you've got a, a million dollars in your RSP. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's $48,000 a year guaranteed. Five years, that's $240,000. So, 
interest rates, when they get to start, I mean, the GICs weren't even thought of the last few years because they were like 1% or 2%. I mean, there's just yeah. no income there. But if we're starting to hit 5%, 6 7 8 10%, if we're headed that way, you're going to see a lot of rearrangements of, of investment could portfolios. Be. It could be. Yeah, you got John Horgan unhappy with the federal government here over health care funding, blaming the feds for this uh, lack of money for health care. The opposition here in B.C. saying, well, hang on, Horgan's just trying to deflect the blame for the problems in health care. Here's Peter Millibar, the liberal MLA, earlier this week on the show. As much as the Premier wants to try to deflect, uh, for two years he was blaming COVID, now he's blaming the federal government. The reality is, for the last five years, our health care system has been failing. And any nurses or doctors you talk to will say this predates COVID. Uh, okay. It's been ignored by the government. Okay, well, like every Premier, though, is, is blaming the feds right yeah, now. Yeah, it's not a, a unique uh, in B.C. situation, but, you know, Millbar's uh, right to an opposition member. He's got to bring it back home. He's got to make. Yeah. Uh, he's going to try to t- tie this to John Horgan's tail and not yeah. let it go- get out of VC. Uh, that uh, try to put the, as much as possible the blame on the provincial government rather than Ottawa. Okay, phone lines are open. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. Ethel in West Van. Hi, Ethel. Um, hello. Hi. Um, yes, we have a terrible situation at our local hospital. Lionsgate Hospital. Um, it's not working. The emergency department. <laughs> if you go in there, good luck. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. my my feeling on it is that these developers, we have so many more people living in North Vancouver now as a result of all these huge high-rises that have been built. And the money goes to district or city. I think there's something wrong with the funding formula where health care is only coming from federal monies. I think we need to look at the whole picture of funding for hospitals and some of this money going into the municipal coffers. I think there needs to be room for looking at out of the box and a shared responsibility. Thank you for the call. Uh, well, first of all, the province funds the lion's share of healthcare funding. It's not Ottawa. Yeah. So, and this is what the whole argument's about. It used to be a 50-50 split when healthcare, the healthcare system was first established in the 1960s. Over the years, the, the federal share of, of funding has eroded and continues to erode. So the premiers say it's down to 22%. The feds say, no, it's more like 35% when you include the tax transfers and such. So they've got different math. Um, so the argument is, what should the federal contribution be? Not sure how that fits in with high rises in North Van, but uh, uh, I suppose the increased population is putting pressure on Lionsgate sure, Hospital sure on an emergency room. I think that's happening everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there are pressures on the system all across the province. We had 100,000 more people move to BC, a, n- a net increase. That's going to have a big impact on the healthcare system. You've got 100,000 more people. They're not all using the healthcare system, obviously. I mean, when's the last time you were in an emergency room? I haven't been in one for since I stopped being a weekend warrior. But uh, it's, uh, you know, more people means more pressure on the system. Roger on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Roger. Go ahead. Morning. Um, I have a, a little bit of a problem. If you remember, we had a couple of years ago, we had a problem with the Saudis where they didn't like something somebody here said. And they withdrew 1,000 students that were in medical training in Canada. Now, why are we allowing so many out-of-country students in and our own homegrown students can't get into medical school here? Only the, the only reason is because they're charging them double and triple the amount of fees 
and then these students graduate and they go back to wherever and, and uh, practice the medicine. Keith, it's, your it's a disgusting no. situation. Thanks for the call. I'm not sure that's happening in medical schools, but having said that, it is true that there's an incentive for universities and colleges to get international students because they pay uh, double or triple the tuition that um, lo- local people do. So this has been an issue that's been increasing uh, in scope for some time. Uh, and again, I'm not sure it's confined to medical schools. I think it's in a lot of other places. On the other hand, there is a campaign to get more foreign trained officials or, or workers into Canada. In fact, Doug Ford, the Ontario yeah. Premier, made that point yesterday. Yeah, so Ford's talking about uh, the need for uh, trained people, um, yeah. not just service jobs, but uh, uh, trained jobs. Uh, skills training uh, that the federal government has to get out of the way and allow looser immigration rules, get rid of red tape, and make it more like Quebec and increase the number of skilled workers to come into Ontario. And that's presumably other problems. I was at a convention last month and talking to uh, one of the heads of Rio Tinto, which is the big aluminum smelter up north, and he he told me he had to go outside of BC to hire 250 skilled workers because he could not find them in BC, and he's still 150 short. So we need skilled workers, and it's going to be interesting whether immigration is the other, going to be the other focus of uh, the premiers when it comes to p- putting pressure on the feds. Shelley on the line in South Surrey. Hi, Shelley. Hi there. Hi. Um, I, I kind of feel like both callers were kind of nailing it a little bit. This, this is a decades-long issue, um, and immigration is actually as much part of the solution as it is part of the problem. Trudeau lowered the uh, the scores to be able to get in during COVID, and so there are people that are working at 7-Eleven that, that are coming here. Um, we need skilled workers coming, and that's not what's happening. And we've we've allowed, as Ethel said, developers to um, rule this country, um, laundering billions and billions of, of dollars for mostly China, but other um, corrupt countries as well. And that money has not benefited the people. It's driven up our prices, and it's essentially made it so that, you know, when I, when I, I'm Gen X, um, when I, I grew up in Maple Ridge, when I was young, it was the doctors and the lawyers that were in Shaughnessy and the West Side and in the British properties. They can't even afford, they can't afford to live anywhere in the Lower Mainland now. So this has been created from decades of corruption, and we are now uh, having to face full face on. Okay. Um, okay. Shelley, thank you for the call. Running out of well, time. there's a lot of moving parts in the affordability issue that goes beyond foreign money coming into BC and such. I mean, this, there's a lot of factors at play and it's going to take a lot of factors to, to deal with this affordability crisis, not just developers. There's all sorts of moving parts here. Squeeze in one more. Gord and Richmond, but Gord, you got to go quick. 30 seconds. Okay. Yeah, I just weigh in quick on inflation. Fix of rate raising interest rates to correct it is so flawed. The the biggest part of inflation, and I'm a manufacturer's agent, so I have a pretty good handle on supply chain. We can't get anything from glass to microchips to yeah, paint yeah. to plastic. Yeah, su- supply chain. Thanks, thanks for the call. Like yeah. Supply chain supply is chain yeah. remains a critical issue. He talks about glass. I've, I've got an acquaintance has a store. His window was smashed by a, a car. It took him eight months to replace oh. the glass because there was, wasn't enough sand to, build, to make the glass. So there's, there's critical shortages everywhere. Thanks.